Okay, so welcome everyone to session one of uh, Kingdom Culture. Would you please go ahead and make sure that you mute your audio devices? If you're on, um, you're joining us, make sure that you please mute your audio device so we don't pick up your voice or any background noise that's helpful. We are recording this session as well. So some basic um, attention to that would be greatly appreciated and it's going to definitely help with um, the experience. So again, just want to reiterate that you were sent by email um, notes for this session. Those notes, you can um, use those to fill in the blanks. So take notes, your own ideas, um, you know, journal a little bit, whatever you want to do. We're talking about kingdom culture, and really there is um, an amazing culture in God's kingdom that we are called to walk in and um, to experience it and to imbibe it to others as well. So thank you for joining us. It's going to be a great session, and I know you're going to benefit from it. Um, let's just take our Bibles, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, because this is really an important part of uh, understanding kingdom culture. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to the multitudes on the hill, and it's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And if you look at particularly verses 2 down through verse number um, 11 and even 12, you're going to see here the blessings, the Beatitudes. And I want you to just kind of imagine with me that Jesus is not just teaching us something here that, well, if you do these things, you'll be blessed, but he's actually trying to instill and have us imbibe the culture of the kingdom of God, because this is all about the kingdom and those who are kingdom citizens, kingdom subjects, sons and daughters of the king. And he opens his mouth and he teaches them and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied or filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, obviously, in this passage of scripture here, Jesus is talking and affirming about there is a different uh, way of living in the kingdom than the world has a culture, the world has a set of values. But the culture and the values of his kingdom are very different than the world's set of values. Poor in spirit, you know, humility, just recognizing your need for dependence on God, mourning. There's a sense in which we're called to mourn. And there's obviously the mourning that happens in this life because just there's death, there's sorrow, there's tragedy, those things happen. But there's also a deeper level of mourning in which we're mourning and we're crying out to God, um, you know, to see things change on the earth. Paul talked about this in Romans 9, how he mourned for those who did not know Christ, his fellow countrymen. So there should be a, a level of dissatisfaction, of brokenness 
and desire to actually see people's lives changed. I mean, we should weep for souls. We should mourn for the lost. We should mourn for those who are broken. We should mourn for those who don't know Jesus Christ. And it's very different than the world's set of values, isn't it? Um, Blessed are those who are meek. The word meek is very interesting because it actually, it doesn't speak of weakness. It doesn't speak about allowing people to, you know, misuse you or abuse you. That's not the word, but the idea Literally, the Greek word prowess has the idea of like a horse that is broken, a horse that is submitted and yielded to its um, rider, to its master. And so the idea is about strength or power that is harnessed and being used. So the idea is that our life is completely submitted to God and we are available for him to use us as he sees fit. We don't have our own agendas, our own plans and uh, the more broken we are, the more useful we are to the master. In fact, the Greek word praos was used by the Greeks when they would go in search of wild horses, you know, and they would want, they needed horses, obviously, for the military and, and for um, even menial tasks to, to pull uh, carts, different things. And so they would choose different horses, and then they would bring them through a six-month process to try to break them. And if a horse was completely broken and yielded to its master, if it would yield, if it would be compliant, it was called praos, which is the same word for meek, and it would be used to be a war horse. So think about that. A horse that is completely broken and yielded can become a war horse. And that's what meekness is all about. Um, He talks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You know, the world hungers and thirsts for the things of this world, but we're not to be like that. Our heart yearns for the living God, for his presence, for the fullness of who he is. And then merciful. Wow, this is so contrary to the world's standards and values. We're called to be merciful. We're called to love our enemies even. Pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. We're called to be pure in heart. Wow, so different, so contrary, uh, so antithetical to, to the ways of this world. Peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Again, so uh, critical. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Today, we have a lot of teaching and emphasis on, you know, boundaries, for example. And I believe in boundaries. Um, Certainly, we're not to just allow ourselves to be abused and misused, um, you know, and to keep submitting ourselves to that by, by no means. I'm not advocating that or in any way saying that's acceptable. But there is, guys, a place, um, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. That's the truth. So when you do, when you're when you're persecuted, make sure it's for righteousness sake, not for something uh, that we did that was, you know, foolish or sinful, hurtful to others. And then also rejoice if we're persecuted for the name of Christ. So I just wanted to share that with you in the beginning of the session so that we can see clearly how antithetical the culture and the values of the kingdom of God, particularly what Jesus shared here in uh, the Beatitudes, 
is, you know, from the kingdom of this world. So this course is on kingdom culture, and we're going to actually have six sessions. And I want to encourage you just to participate in all of these. You receive by email a copy of notes. And for this session, you'll get that for the following sessions as well. So let's just start off by defining culture. When we talk about culture, there is a kingdom culture, but let's define culture. Again, um, guys, if you could just mute your audio device, please, so we don't have the background noise, that'd be amazing and much appreciated. Thank you. Great. Okay, so kingdom culture. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about culture in general. A culture is a way of life of a group of people. It has to do with their their behaviors, their beliefs, their values, and symbols that they accept, generally without thinking about them. In other words, it's embedded in them. Um, You know, it's natural. It's something that they just believed uh, very, very much part of uh, their culture, passed along by communication and imitation. So culture is passed on through communication and imitation from one generation to the next. Cultural differences manifest themselves in different ways and in differing levels of depth. Symbols, let's just talk about some of the ways that culture is expressed. Symbols represent the most superficial, okay? And values the deepest manifestations of culture. And then there's two other areas. There's heroes and rituals. So those four areas, superficial, which is I'm sorry, symbols, which is really quite superficial. Um, Values, which is really the most profound way that culture is manifested. And then there's also the the heroes that a culture celebrates and, and, you know, and really emulates even to a degree. And then there's rituals. So those are the four main areas that behavior scientists, sociologists say that culture is expressed. Now, there's also something called subculture. And subculture is you may live in, you know, the United States, for example, and you say, well, I'm an American and we embrace this culture. But then in that culture, in the American culture, there's subcultures. It could be ethnocentric. You know, you could be Latino. You could be African-American. You could be, you know, from another um an Asian background or whatever. Then there's um, what we would call religious culture. You might be, a person might be Catholic or whatever they may be, um, Muslim or whatever. There's the family of origin culture, how you were raised in your family and that culture, how you learned uh, to do life and to live, relationships, all of that stuff. Um, Socioeconomic cultures. You know, we use such terminology as, you know, upper class, upper middle class, blue collar, white collar, you know, professional. We use all these kind of different language um, words to describe culture. Um, We have also the arts culture, you know, there's those who are part of that. There's so many different um, subcultures that we could talk about. But this suffice to say is that there is actually subcultures. and, And it's very important that we understand the difference. So, Very good, guys. Um, Let's also talk about how values are. This is what, believe it or not, this is what actually Elvis Presley said. He said that values are like 
fingerprints. No one person's is the same, but we all leave them on everything that we touch. So that's an important thing. Um, Peter Drucker, who, you know, is like a guru in business, he made this statement, and and this is really going to segue into what we're going to talk about next. He said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. So think about that. You can have the greatest strategies, could be in your business, could be in a ministry, even in your family. You know, this is this is what we're going to do. We have a plan and we do all the, and we want to, you know, advance or grow or scale or or just become better in something but culture can quickly diffuse that culture can honestly thwart and even abort that if it's not um if it's an unhealthy or contrary culture we have religious culture too don't we you know we have um a culture that's based on religious ideas even as christians spirit-filled christians charismatics pentecostals you know we have culture and this is the way we do things in ministry, in our, you know, our churches or whatever. And it may not be the culture of God's kingdom. So that's an important thing. But culture eats strategy for breakfast. If you're leading a ministry, if you're leading a business, a church, um, whatever it may be, you know what, guys? The truth is that culture is the main impediment to you being able to move ahead and really reach more people, see lives transformed. If there is an unhealthy culture, if there's a toxic culture, or even if it's just a culture that isn't kingdom focused, okay? Um, It could be a culture that is um, subpar to the culture that you're trying to build and establish. That will hinder what you want to do. People might have good hearts, uh, even, I mean, obviously there are people that have hearts that, that need healed, hearts that unfortunately at times <clears throat> have their own agenda rather than God's kingdom agenda. All of these things, um, people might, you know, just say, well, this is the way I've done it. I've always done it. And they don't know any differently, honestly. So it's not that they're bad people necessarily. It's just they're living and imbibing a different culture than the culture that really needs to become the dominant culture. And we're going to talk about that, how to build the proper culture, a kingdom culture, and uh, the process. In this course, we're going to go through that and unpack some very practical ways you can establish a culture and even shift an existing culture. So let's talk about cultivating culture as the very word culture means. It's a Latin word, cultura, which means to till or to plow, you know, so the idea is to till land or to plow land. So hence it means to cultivate. And so think of it this way as culture is cultivating land. Okay. So you're cultivating, um, you know, the values, the, the mindsets, the paradigms, the behavior, the beliefs of a people you're, you're cultivating that you're tilling up those things that are not necessarily um, the culture that that is a kingdom culture. You're um, preparing the soil so that people will begin to receive the word of the Lord, obviously, and bear much fruit. As God's people, we've been authorized to bring the essence and culture of the kingdom of heaven to the earth. In Matthew 6, 10, 
says we're to pray. Jesus said, you know, pray that his kingdom, the father's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, let me say something about this, because this is critical and foundational. When you're trying to change a culture, I believe that often the greatest um, hindrance to changing people's mindsets, um, the way they think, and then ultimately uh, how they live, their behaviors, so beliefs and behaviors, is the the greatest hindrance is people are not, how do I say this, convicted, okay? And, and I don't just mean convicted of behavior that's not Christ-like or that's not even kingdom culture, but there needs to be a conviction of the preeminence, the supremacy, and the greater value of the culture of the kingdom. So how does that happen? It's kind of like this. You know, we we just had um, a pastor sharing at our church here in, in Australia, and he told the story about how he would go to NBA basketball games, and he'd always sit, you know, high up in the bleachers. And one day, a friend of his called him and said, hey, I've got literally um, front row seats right on the court um, for for this game. So he went there, and he literally was right on the court side. And as he was there, he watched the game. It was amazing. It was unlike anything he had ever experienced before. He could hear the team members talking, you know, the officials, even the coach, um, was so close to him. And and so what happened was after that experience, he went back to the game, but this time he's sitting way up in the top on the high levels, looking down on the court. And he just is like, man, there's nothing like sitting at the court on, you know, at court side seats, there's nothing like that. And, and it ruined him from even wanting to, to watch, um, another game again it it honestly ruined him and i think what happens is we get to a place where we're just used to something you know well this is all we know and and so we just live in that we never question that and this is just the way we do things but once we begin to experience the culture of god's kingdom and we go wow this is so different this is so much better. This is healthier. This is so, tra- you know, transformational compared to this other culture. And then at that point, everything changes. Everything changes. And we go, we cannot go back to the old. We're we're going to stay with this new culture. And, you know, you can have, um, you can eat at a particular restaurant or cafe and you like the food. It's all you know. But then you try, you go to a place that's, you know, just a, a, a better better level and you end up uh, experiencing the food that is just supreme i mean it's just just so much more superior and you don't want to go back to what you had before you're like this is inferior this is not good <laughs> it's garbage food or whatever it's junk food it's whatever and and that's what happens we get ruined and we don't want to go back and so the most important way in shifting culture is to actually bring people to a place where they experience um, the genuine culture of the kingdom. You know, we you've probably heard this illustration when um, the FBI trains agents to detect false 
I need you to mute, please. Thank you. When the FBI trains its agents to be able to detect counterfeit money, they don't show them counterfeit money and say, hey, you know, here's all the different kinds of counterfeit money that we've seen. Um, you know, just immerse yourself and, and orient yourself with this false currency. No, what they actually do is they have their agents learn uh, and become so familiar with the authentic, with the real, that they're able to detect counterfeit. And that's the way it should be when it comes to the ca- the culture of the kingdom. We should be so focused on the authentic, experiencing the culture of the kingdom, that we're able to detect a culture that is um, subpar, that's inferior, even counterfeit. And, and we are able to actually say, hey, that's not the culture of God's kingdom. And think about that, whether it's in an organization, a family, or a church, a ministry, a community, even even uh, a city or a nation, potentially, I mean, that would change everything. If everyone's on the same page and they're just saying, hey, this is not acceptable. This isn't what is is the, you know, a proper healthy culture. So it's very, very important. So we talk about cultivating culture, one of the first things that we have to understand is we need to see the authentic, the real. People need to have an encounter. They need to be immersed and experience the culture. You can think, you know, that you understand a person's culture, but then when you go and live with that family for a year, then you really become immersed in that culture and begin to really you through experience understand it and you can even potentially imbibe that culture you can carry that and emanate that culture and there's things about natural cultures that are very healthy you know there's there's things that we can learn from all the different cultures although there's corporate cultures and workplaces there's you know cultures and churches and it's not all bad culture in comparison to the kingdom culture some of them are actually elements of kingdom culture but how do we move to a place where we are fully embracing the culture of the kingdom again i refer you back to matthew chapter 5 as we shared in the beginning of this to look at what jesus said are important values things we should even celebrate in the culture of the kingdom um culture is to a church a family a business or a community what soil is to a plant. We're called to the cultivation of a spiritual culture that permeates people's hearts. Even church has a culture, but does it facilitate growth and life transformation? Is it really the culture of the kingdom? And when Jesus said, we pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're saying is, You know, Lord, we want your presence and your glory to come. And when people begin to experience his presence and his glory, it changes everything. Now, it starts in the heart and it does obviously change mindsets. We're not to be conformed to the world, but transformed through the renewing of our mind. But if it's just intellectual, well, this is what the way you should think, okay, um, that's great. We need information. There's nothing wrong with information, but it needs to be revelation where it becomes something that hits our spirit man. And so we live out of our spirit man, not just, you know, giving academic 
um, you know, affirmations or something. It's actually something that we're doing where we're living out of our spirit man and we are imbibing the culture of the kingdom. So discipleship, in a sense, is actually about cultivating um, the kingdom of heaven, because what we're trying to do is to teach people how to live in God's kingdom. And there's scriptures like I think it's in First Thessalonians 2, 12 through 14, where it actually talks about that God has called us to walk worthy of his kingdom. So he's saying that when you come to a new country, for example, and you live in that country, for me personally, I'm an advocate of embracing that culture as much as possible without obviously compromising, you know, God's will for my life or, or doing things that are inherently wrong or contrary to God's word. So we need to embrace culture. It's very important. And when it comes to the culture of the kingdom, that's what discipleship is all about. We come into the kingdom. We're born again. We're translated from darkness in, and the, you know, the, the domain of Satan into the kingdom of God's dear son, Colossians 1.13. But now at that point, we need to begin to learn how to live in the culture. How do we adapt uh, and even adopt the values of God's kingdom? How do we walk in a way that we sh- literally um, understand the culture of the kingdom and we begin to manifest that? It's very important. So cultivating spiritual soil, cultivating our hearts, our minds, to receive the word of God. So our role is to cultivate believers by preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's in your notes. So that they embrace the culture of the kingdom and become fruitful. And I've got some scriptural references there. Matthew 10, 7 and 8, 28, 18 through 20, 1 Thessalonians. Oh, I think it says 1, 11 and 12 in the notes. It should be 2, 11 and 12, I believe. So, Let's talk a little bit further about this. Faith in the gospel of Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, brings a change of heart, literally, right? In Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, he says, I'll give you a new heart. I'm going to take out of you that heart of stone and so on. However, discipleship is needed in order to shift mindsets by instilling the values and the culture of the kingdom of heaven into people's lives so that they Uh, become authentic kingdom citizens, that they represent the culture well, right? Because that's what an ambassador is, and we're called to be ambassadors of Christ. We represent and we reveal our king rightly so that people see him rightly. That's so important that people actually see him rightly. So um, let's break this down. We're going to look at the process that the Romans used in order to transform society okay when the romans um their goal of course julius caesar and even before that with the greeks did the same thing um alexander the great their goal was to take over the world and so that all of the other countries and and cities would come under the reign and the rule of you know their their uh, kingdom so the romans employed a three-step process to conquer new cities and regions. And it was invade, occupy, and transform. Invade, occupy, and transform. Invade. The Romans would first launch a military campaign to conquer a city or region. They had a well-disciplined army. 
and advanced military strategies which allowed them to effectively invade territories. And once they successfully defeated the defending forces, they gained control over the area. Now, interestingly, Jesus told us in Matthew 10, verse 7, as you go, preach and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So in a sense, we're called to invade the territories of the enemy, right? We go into an area where Satan is ruling and reigning, like Isaiah 60 talks about darkness covering the earth and deep darkness, the people. But it says, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. So in other words, go in there with the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in his kingdom and bring change. But go in and just kind of put a, a um, stake in the ground, you know, a flag on top of the mountain, so to speak, and say, hey, this this space belongs to God. This space is his place. This is his territory. We claim it for the kingdom of heaven. So we do that, obviously, prophetically. We do that through decrees. But we begin to obviously believe that with our heart. So when you see an environment that is um, antithetical or even hostile to the kingdom, it could be a city. It could be, you know, um, a community, a family. It could be in your family with your kids, maybe even, or or a husband, a wife that is um, not, you know, living out the the values of the kingdom. They're maybe even becoming hostile towards you. How do you how do you bring that change? Well, the first thing that you have to understand is the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That every soul belongs to Him. That Jesus died to save those people, to bring them in a right relationship with him and to transform their lives and bring alignment to their thinking so that they're actually in a place where they're submitted to his lordship and they begin to experience um, the transformation that the gospel can bring. And so very important, guys, that we understand that we're called to go in and to claim it. You know, the gospel of the kingdom is all about this, that one day, we read this in Revelation 11, all the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of the earth, the kingdoms of men is going to become the kingdoms of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it says in Revelation 11. It's a very powerful truth. And this is the reality of who uh, we are in Christ. We're called to bring that change and transformation. It's such a critical and important thing. And we really need to be convinced that we're called to be, um, not just thermometers that gauge, you know, the, the atmosphere, but we're called to actually be thermostats. We change the environment. We change the atmosphere. That's what it's all about. So invading, we're called to take territory for the kingdom. Okay. And there's such a big difference, isn't there? Like we have people that, that in churches and ministries and businesses that we just kind of take up space and we don't do a lot, but what we're called to do is actually take territory, advance God's kingdom, take new ground, and bring those who are under the domain of Satan into subjection to the lordship of Jesus Christ as they come into his kingdom. Occupy. The Romans, after the initial invasion, would establish their presence in the newly conquered territory. They would station their soldiers in key locations to maintain control prevent any uprisings or rebellions. The goal of occupation was to ensure stability and enforce Roman rule. Now, how does that 
relate to us today, to you and I? Well, the idea is this, that we're called to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We're called to uh, be every area of our life to be occupied, so to speak, by uh, his word, by his rule, and by his rule, by his uh, Sorry, I need to ask you to mute, please. If you have your microphone on, you need to mute that. Thank you. I think I've got you there. Okay. Um, so we're literally called, guys, to to bring the rule and reign of Jesus first to ourselves, every area of our life. Okay. Um, does he have that space, so to speak? Now, think about it. Jesus told a story about a man And by the way, he wasn't using this to teach us deliverance, though there's principles we can glean from this story. He was talking about a generation. You'll read it in, I think it's Matthew 11 and Luke 12, where Jesus says, you know, it's like a man in whom unclean spirit dwelt. And the spirit is evicted, cast out, and the spirit leave, and they go seeking, you know, somewhere to dwell, an abode. They don't find any, and they come back, and they find that the house from which they were evicted, in other words, the man's home, is empty, is swept clean, okay? And the key is, it looks good in the natural. It's empty and swept clean. It's swept clean, but it's empty. And it goes and it finds seven other spirits, even worse than itself. And they together collectively move in and occupy that empty space. And then Jesus said this, and I think it states it in, in Luke's gospel. He says, so shall it be with his generation. He's talking about a generation, guys, not just an individual that was delivered. And he's using it as an illustration of people who, they look good, they're clean, um, outwardly, everything seems fine. They may be religious, but that the space, so to speak, is not occupied with the rule and reign of Christ. They're not under his lordship. They're not filled with his spirit. He does not occupy them fully. And so what ends up happening is the enemy can come again. So there's a place of occupation, and that occupation occurs with the presence, uh, the power of God, and even the word of God begins to fill every area of our life And that happens through teaching, through renewing our mind, but also through repentance and submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, allowing him to take up his rightful place to rule and reign in our hearts and in every area of our life so that we love him with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. So this is about occupying, replacing what was empty and even um, previously was was filled with ungodliness, ungodly thinking, ungodly behavior, ungodly affections, all those things, and seeing that changed and transformed as we come into uh, a place of yieldedness to him. And when he occupies our heart space, so to speak, our mind, all everything about us, the next thing is transformation takes place. You know, there's this thing called um, displacement and replacement. Now, if you think about displacement, is if you put an object in a cup of water, what happens? So water rises, right? And so that's called displacement. 
but then eventually when you add the layers on more and more layers and then eventually it, it brings transformation and change in how we think and how we live and so the idea is that eventually you pour in you know the new in order that the old would actually be not only displaced but replaced and that's an important principle god has changed us and our heart has become new our spirit man is made perfect hebrew says but there's a work of change of of transformation through discipleship but allowing the purpose of discipleship is to come under greater um to be in a place of greater submission and yieldingness to him so that he occupies every space of our lives so transformation this is the most interesting step uh in the roman process of of conquering and and ruling and reigning in a new territory the romans were known for their assimilation policy which aimed to incorporate the conquered people into roman society they would introduce roman laws governance systems infrastructure to the newly acquired territories included building roads aqueducts temples and other structures that reflected roman architecture and engineering they also promoted the latin language roman customs Moreover, the Romans encouraged local elites to adopt Roman ways. Notice that, providing them with opportunities for political and social advancement within the empire. This process of cultural assimilation allowed the Romans to unify their vast empire under, and here's the key, under a common Roman identity. Wow. So we're talking about kingdom identity. We all have the same identity, that we're sons and daughters of the king. We live in his kingdom. We're, you know, um, those who are the benefactors, uh, the beneficiaries of his kingdom. And it's an incredible thing that we begin to see this transformation in how we live. We go to levels of, of just access to, you know, extraordinary things in the kingdom in in the sense that we have access to all the resources and the riches of God's kingdom. We have access to the wisdom of God. We have access to the fullness of his righteousness and his peace, his joy, and all of who he is, his glory, his provision. Um, I mean, everything that that he has is ours. And that's the amazing thing. Like in John 5.20, Jesus said that everything that the Father um, has the father shows me everything is what he said in John 5, 20. Then in John 15, 15, when he's speaking to his disciples, he says, you know what? I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know anything really. He's not privy to his master's um, doings. But I call you, he said, friends, because friends know everything. And he said that all that the father has made known to me, I have made known to you. So he gives us access. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ, heirs of God, but joint heirs with Jesus. So everything that the Father made available to Jesus is available to us. And so it's like, even though we are outside, just as in the case of a people, a person who um, their homeland, their city was invaded by the Romans, eventually they can become a Roman citizen. Eventually they can even become integrated and assimilated into that culture and have a new identity. And that's a good thing in the kingdom of God, that we now have our identity in Christ and we have access to all of 
uh, the benefits of his kingdom. But there's obviously responsibilities as well. Very, very important. Okay, lastly, let's talk about mission and vision. Now, I know that mission and vision has um, become very corporate, especially um, in, even in the church. You know, a lot of times we've embraced a vision um, and a mission that really is more corporate rather than kingdom. So I think it's important that we understand the difference. But I just want to share with you, this is interesting, but I think you'll you'll understand the the you know the correlation here. Um the Romans had a clear vision and under the reign and rule of Julius Caesar um they envisioned an ever expanding Roman empire that was centralized, united and prosperous bringing stability, economic growth and prosperity to the empire and its citizens for generations to come. That was uh, Julius Caesar's vision and the vision of the Roman Empire that they literally united around that. The mission of Rome was that Caesar, Julius Caesar, aimed to establish a strong central government, reduce corruption, promote social and economic reforms. He wanted to extend Roman influence beyond its borders by conquering new territories, which he believed would bring wealth and resources to the empire. So there's obviously some self-serving uh, reasons here. But additionally, Caesar sought to spread Roman culture and civilization throughout the conquered lands, bringing Roman law, customs, and infrastructure to these regions. So for us, as God's children, as leaders in his kingdom, we need to understand our vision and our mission. There's a, a sense in which we all have a calling to what we call the great commission, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's a commission, meaning we we um, collaborate and cooperate with God. We execute the mission jointly. That's very important, but there's also a sense in which we have a vision specific to what God has called us to do and a mission that he's called us to do individually. Could be in your workplace, could be in your ministry, uh, you know, and so on, your family, your your destiny, your purpose, really. So it's very important to understand that. Um, I believe our mission is to advance the kingdom of God, which is the rule and reign of Jesus in our lives and over the nations. Matthew uh, 24, 14 says, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the world as a testimony or a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So culture must reinforce vision and mission what does it look like for the kingdom to be advancing if our mission is to advance the kingdom disciple the nations what does kingdom culture look like when it's established in the midst of a people again that could be in a family obviously individually in our personal lives could be in a church a business this is the question, guys, and we're going to stop in a second and we're going to just discuss this. What does kingdom culture look like when it's established in the midst of a people? If Let me just say this, okay, two things. Um, first of all, if you want to change culture, and I've already alluded to this in the beginning, you must create something so beautiful and useful that it builds a better culture, okay? I love this quote from Socrates. Listen to this. The secret of change is to focus all of your energy 
not on fighting the old, but on building the new. Don't focus all your energy on fighting the old, but on building the new. That's the secret to change, is what Socrates said. So I want to encourage you, a couple of things. Um, Please take this with you. And the next time we get together, um, we're going to just briefly discuss this. What is your mission, your vision? Could be for your business, your organization, your ministry, your church, whatever it may be. Um, Not really. It is your personal life as well. But what is it that you have been uniquely called by God to do? What is your role? And uh, how are you going to begin to live that out? So vision is what you see. And obviously, in terms of mission is you actually do, how you execute, how you implement, how you actionize those things. So that's that's very, very important that we understand that and we get that right. So for the next session, just please spend some time defining, praying into and defining what is my mission? What is my vision? What is God saying to me? And please make sure that it's in alignment with God's vision, the scriptures, you know, his vision for his his kingdom um, to fill the earth, his glory to fill the earth, the kingdom of God to advance to the nations. Please make sure that it's in alignment with that. It doesn't go against that. Really, it's more of a micro of the macro is what it should be. Okay, so define your mission, your vision. And I want you to write down about five to seven um values what are five five to seven values kingdom values what are things that you believe are very important not just to you as an individual but to all believers in the kingdom these are values that are really part of the culture of the kingdom we should all value these things so write those down and when we come back in our next session which will be in about two weeks we'll we'll spend a little bit of time discussing that but Right now, I'm just going to stop the recording, and we are going to just chat a little bit, and i uh, love to hear your feedback.